guys. Welcome to episode 25 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt.com. My name is Jakai Mickelson, uh, Creative Director at Atlanta Movie Tours. And we have a pretty cool episode today. Um, both Chikai and I have been at film festivals over the weekend. That's true, yeah. <laughs> we both had different film festivals, but both at film festivals. Um, and then we have a review of Snowden. We're going to go through some box office results. And then we have a surprise interview. Um, well, I'll go ahead and tease it. Uh, <laughs> we have Chris Pratt and Manuel Garcia Ruffalo from The Magnificent Seven. So pretty, pretty solid show. Yeah, we, we're already proud of it. We, you know what? We don't even need to do it, really. Just to, I know. people know just, how good it was, and they can just listen to the next one. Exactly. Mic drop. <laughs> we're out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, tell me, tell me how it went with uh, your your screening. Well, uh, you know what? It's it's um oh boy. So here goes. Um, I, I have to kind of to kind of walk a tightrope here a little bit. On one hand, it was awesome for for the people that showed up. Omar and I definitely felt the support from our shared family, our peers, and from other sickle cell advocates. It was really cool. Plus, plus a couple actual sickle cell warriors who who appear in the film made the trek despite being in pain. So that's awesome. Yeah, and and you know what it 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 got a really good reception, even even from those people who don't know me or Omar or aren't directly kind of associated with this at all. It, it got really warm response. Um, now, all that being said, see, here's the flip side. Uh, uh -oh. if, if I had, <laughs> if I had the opportunity to do that exact screening over again, I wouldn't. Um, I, I wasn't, uh, uh, pleased by the situation at the quote Atlanta DocuFest. Oh. Like the room was an art gallery, which I kind of knew going in, but it's not a theater, but like there were pipes ceiling to the floor between the seats and the screen, which made for a very awkwardly shaped set of rows. When we walked in, it wasn't like a logo of the film festival on the screen. It was, uh, it was somebody's really messy desktop computer. Just, uh, Sitting there, okay, uh, on the screen. Yeah, and you could see like the names of all the files, including my film, which was called uh, S P I M I underscore color corrected underscore three point underscore second upload attempt dot mp four, which just screams this is a tightly ran operation, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and then, <laughs> and then there was like no announcement before the film started. It just kind of started and the dudes running it were nice enough guys but it was just like a couple of long-haired dudes wearing disheveled t-shirts which is fine but it wasn't like oh what a professional thing we're experiencing um and that was it. It was only these two guys there was no other staff on hand then the film ended and we were supposed to do a Q&A and what happened is Omar and I were kind of creeping up towards the front of the room and, and people who saw the film and were affected by it, which was really cool. They, they were coming around us and talking with us. They had started the next film and again, didn't make an announcement. So there were a few people trying to watch that film, which were annoyed at us talking, even though there was supposed to be a Q&A after and we got shushed. I got shushed at my own premiere, Emma. You're oh. never supposed to be shushed oh. <laughs> at your own premiere. No. So what's funny, your your good friend and your colleague, uh, movie reviewer extraordinaire, and a friend of the Atlas, Michael McKinney, the, I guess there's a reason why you and he hadn't heard of this thing. Um, so it's short and long of it. It was super small. Uh, and frankly, I feel like spilled milk deserves better. So we're going to take a mulligan. <laughs> on that effectively being our premiere. I'm going to call that an in 
progress screening. Um, I'm going to make a few small changes after watching with an audience. All in all, I'd say there were 35 people there. But uh, that honestly felt like capacity, the way the room was set up. Right. Um, so while we felt a ton of love, and it was really cool to actually see the movie with an audience, um, and and again, a heartfelt thanks to everybody who came out. It seriously meant so much to me and Omar that, that, that we did have the turnout that we did. But meanwhile, I was actually thankful that so much other stuff happened to be going on that weekend, and so many people I knew were out of town because I was honestly embarrassed by the entire situation yeah um so yeah we're, we're gonna do it again we're we're gonna do it uh we're gonna do it again in atlanta and we're gonna do it right um in the meanwhile though we're all eyes are on this uh screening we've got coming up on november 13th which which i mean it's just gonna be on a completely different level in terms of credibility and in terms of prestige annoyingly i can't announce anything about this thing yet but um, hopefully soon. Because meanwhile, you know, while we were dealing with this thing it, here, here in Atlanta, I was seeing the pictures you were sharing on Facebook of, of what appeared to be an actual film festival. Cause it looks <laughs> like you saw a lot of good stuff out there. I did. I did. I saw a ton of movies this weekend, a lot of shorts and, um, a couple, a couple of features too. So this was the 13th year of the Rome Film Festival. It was founded in 2003 and I'm 99% sure they said they had 57 films in total screening this weekend wow. out of around a thousand submissions. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It, and the, the film festival itself took place in, uh, it's in a historic theater, the DeSoto, which, uh, I learned was the central venue or wait, excuse me, built in 1927. The theater was the first cinema in the Southeast U.S. to screen sound films. Ooh, that's so cool. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So a little bit of history there with the theater, which was really nice and felt really intimate and um, it was just a, a great experience. The, the films were all really great. The filmmakers that were there were, were super cool. All of the, the people running the festival did a really great job. And it was just it was a really fun weekend. That's awesome. Um, I love that the first thing that I saw, though, um, I got there on Friday afternoon and it had started on uh, Thursday evening was was the first of the, the festival. But the first thing that I saw on Friday was the Georgia short block. So it was all shorts that were shot in Georgia. And the very first one, um, A Kiss of Death, starred Atlanta Movie Tour tour guide, Catherine. Catherine, that movie so. <laughs> has done so much. That thing, it went to it went to Cannes Film Festival. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it, it did huge. That's where it premiered, unlike mine, which premiered <laughs> at Atlanta DocuFest Dark Closet Basement Room. Well, you should have submitted it to some of those. I obviously, <laughs> should have should have gone for Canes. I should have, but no, I was super excited for it. It's awesome. How was it? Did you like it? It was good. It was good. You know, everything. Um, the Georgia, the whole Georgia block was was super cool because there was also another movie, um, Pets, which had a had some puppets in it. It was a weird movie, but it was like weirdly adorable. Um, <laughs> was made uh, by a few of the the folks I know over at Zombie Cat Productions. So I was seeing all of these names and faces that I recognized, and it was just super cool. And they had, uh, of course, the Hotel Claremont documentary as well, which uh, tells not the story of the lounge, but tells the story of the last days of the hotel and the lives That's of cool. the people that lived there and worked there. And I hadn't seen it before. I know it's it's been around for a while. It was actually funded off of a Kickstarter campaign. 
but that was really cool to see because I didn't know that much about the actual hotel's history. All, all I knew about was, you know, the lounge's history. No, that's um, true. And, and now that you say it, like, I don't either. I'm like, oh, that's right. There's this entire building above the lounge. What happens up there? Yeah, you know, and it's uh, it was scheduled to be, you know, kind of renovated and completed, I, I think, either this year or next year. And I don't think that there's been a whole lot of progress over there with that. And it's kind of amazing that, especially with all of the development on Ponce, Ponce City Market and the Beltline and really the right. whole this whole area of town, that there has not been um, a little bit more action happening over there in terms of revitalizing it and, and redoing it. And it looked like from what I could see at the lobby, like it looks like it has good bones to the place. Like they need to go in and maybe take down some walls and kind of, you know, um, you know, clean things up and, and restore some of the more historic elements, but it looks like it could actually be a, a pretty cool looking, at least lobby area. Um, yeah. from what I saw, um, but yes, yeah, so that was a that was a really cool uh, film to see. Nice. And then uh, later that night, I saw um, a Belgian film. It was a comedy called What Jacques Saw, and that was a, a oddly adorable movie as well. Uh, it was it was really good. Uh, then we had the Fear and Horror block. I originally had planned on giving descriptions of all of these, and then I realized that would be our entire podcast if I read all of the <laughs> descriptions and drafters. So I'm just going to kind of give the, the highlights here. Um, but at midnight, we went to the Horror block, and the the Horror block in that, or the horror film in that, that uh, seemed to haunt most of us uh, was called The Birch. It was a short film uh, with some really scary-looking trees in it that did, in fact, give me nightmares that night. So, Oh, good. Well, that means it was good. It was good. It was good, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Sunday, we saw uh, Domestic Short Block, uh, Times Like Dying, was beautifully, beautifully shot. It was a Western and cinematically, hands down, the best thing that I saw at the festival from a, a, a cinematic standpoint. Uh, there was another great little short called Guidance, and they're actually uh, going to be screening that at the New York Television Festival and I think trying to option it for, for a TV show. So we'll see what happens with that one. That'd be cool if, if something ends up happening there and I'd be like, I saw that at the Rome Film Festival. Nice, nice. I saw it before with somebody. That's cool. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, then we saw another feature called Artifice. Uh, which was pretty intense. It was about a, a method actor who had a, a hard time telling the difference between the the role and the real world. So that was a emotionally intense and kind of heavy topic uh, film. And then after that, we saw We Forgotten More Than We Ever Knew, which I love. That was my favorite film of the festival. It stars Doug Jones Ooh. and... If you know who Doug Jones is, you've seen Doug Jones, regardless if you know the name or not. Um, he is so good at um, any kind of puppetry work or any sort of monster work or, um, um, you know, the hands from Pan Labyrinth. That was Doug Jones. Uh, he was an alien in Falling Skies. Um, the gentleman, he was the lead gentleman in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the guys that, you know, floated above the ground and looked around right. the corners. And um, he's just he's a great great guy great actor and he's so good at just anything that involves moving really creepy like nice. so um but that film it's about a man and a woman who wander through uh the wilderness in a faraway world we're not really sure if it's a, a different world if it's uh you know our world years down the line or, or what exactly it is but uh, one day they stumble upon a mysterious set of structures 
um, these two towers and it kind of shows maybe a past life or what life used to be for people and it ends up complicating their lives for both good and bad. Um, so that was a really cool film to see. It was uh, directed and written by Thomas Woodrow. And if you get a chance to see it, I definitely recommend it. It was it was great. I'm very intrigued, just based I, on the guy who's done it. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have to mention this one film, and I'm going to mention it in the sense of if you ever are in a theater and you're you hear the name of this movie, just just leave. Um, oh, wow. Oh, it was wow, horrifying. Right? It was horrifying. And I'm not saying this for like the the quality. It's just the subject matter was it was disgusting. And I was closing my eyes and like, what am I watching? G. Williams. Is it like it's like it's like <laughs> what was it like torture porn? What, what was so bad about it? It was definitely a porn type thing. Um, it was, really? I don't even, you guys do not want me to describe this. I can hear the <laughs> other people that were at the film festival with me this weekend laughing, listening to this part of the podcast. Well, no, I'm um, dying to know. It's just like, listen, you just don't want to see it for reasons I cannot disclose. Not because it's bad, because it's horrific. Exactly. And it's pornographic. It's, uh, All right, perfect. It's pornographic. You know. It involves a troll-like creature, <laughs> and it is, it, it's horrifying. Don't look it up. Um, <laughs> we'll just leave Are it you- at that. Are you a fan of Peter Jackson? Yes. <laughs> Have you seen his old school film where there's like, it's like, okay, it's it's called Meet the Feebles. At least that's what it was called out here in the United States. And Peter Jackson, before he kind of settled in, was doing some weird stuff. And that film to this day, like, affects me. And it like, on the on the packaging of it, it was like, oh, look at these big, funny stuffed animals. They're like big live-action puppet kind of things. I mean, not super high-budgeted, but that's what they were. And then there's, like, orgies and over-the-top drug use, and it's, like, this dark, horrific thing, and it's all, like, takes place on a porn set, if I remember. So, I don't know if it's anything like that, but Peter Jackson went on to do okay after making <laughs> that film. So, well, just, just throw um, that out there. Maybe maybe this will be the uh, the dark film in this director's past. <laughs> It'll go on to have a very <laughs> successful career, like Peter Jackson. I don't know. It was there. You go. It was intense. I do not recommend looking it up. I now know everyone's probably going to look it up because they're wondering what the heck I'm talking about. But um, I just well, that I, is if one million percent. I'm even going to go look it up now because. What the hell is the little gnome thing? That's a pornography. Yeah. Anyways, it yeah, sounds uh, sounds I've, sounds great. Yeah, well, I warned you. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Um, That movie played before um, the feature for the the midnight feature, which was Attack of the Killer Donuts, Uh. um, which I also wasn't a huge fan of. It was, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, These donuts mutate, have teeth, and attack and kill people. Uh, so it was weird. It was especially weird because we were all at this party before before this block of, of films started, and they had like the little donut munchkin, the, the little donut holes there. Right. Um, and so we were like all eating donuts before the uh, the screening, and I was like, "Well, I'm glad we we ate them before because that was uh, it was a little weird afterwards." But um, yeah, so that was my my Rome Film Festival experience, and it was. I'm definitely going back next year. I loved it. It's a uh, it's a really great small town, uh, a lot of charm to it, a really adorable coffee shop right next to the theater, great people, just uh, overall great experience. 
No, I would also like to go. That uh, that sounds like a fantastic situation. It sounds like you saw good films and one that none of us can know anything about, and also a weird Attack of the Killer Tomatoes spinoff with a different ingredient. Yeah, it's perfect. Different food. <laughs> yes. Um, but on the note of movies and, and moving over to more of the, the mainstream side of things, uh, the box office report for this weekend. Wow. Snowden didn't do well. No. Snowden didn't do well at all. Um, so Sully came in first again, brought in an additional $22 million for its second weekend in release, which brings its gross total to $70.5 million. Uh, so it's already made back its production budget of $60 million. And... Oh. There was a lot of films that opened this weekend. Blair Witch, uh, being one of them, brought in nine point six million, and it was made on a five million dollar production budget. So that that's oh, wow. already done pretty well. Even though I, I read a lot of articles that were saying that it flopped, um, I'm not sure what their projections were for this weekend. But um, it's right. already made more than it costs to make. So I'm sure it's going to do all right in its second week as well. Uh, but but it, coming- it seemed like oh, sorry, really fast. I was just going to say, like, it seems like it had a fair amount of budget for marketing though i wonder if that's that true ca- i don't know if that counts it doesn't count against the production budget i right. always want to see i always want to see the entire picture right like production budget marketing budget and then compare the results of those two that seems like a more fair way to know the, the whole truth i would love to see that especially with some of the films like uh um what is it it came in fifth this week uh, don't breathe which is still doing really well and i don't feel like i saw you know, really any promotion for that one. And Agreed. It, Not a thing. Yeah. It would be really interesting to see how much they spend on marketing for movies that do really well versus movies that are expected to do really well and don't and just kind of get into some of the psychology of why films don't do well. Um, because Blair Witch, well, Bridget Jones came in third. Bridget Jones's baby. It had 8.2 million and it cost 35 million <laughs> to make. Um, so it didn't do too well domestically, uh, but it it received relatively positive reviews for the most part. So it's uh, it wasn't bad reviews that kept people away. Uh, but overseas, it did better. It came in with um, around thirty million dollars in the overseas market, including about eleven million in the UK. So it did all right overseas. <laughs> Well, good for Bridget Jones, that that yeah. dirty, dirty whore who doesn't know who the <laughs> father was. Yeah, it's uh, my friend Matt described it as basically like a movie version of Maury. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I was like, that's a really great way to describe with, it. <laughs> with much wittier English banter. That's yes. perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that one. I didn't see either of those two this weekend. I did see um, Oliver Stone's. Snowden, uh, which did not do well, it made $8 million on a $40 million production budget, and it actually ranks as the lowest grossing debut ever for Oliver Stone. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Um, well, we can hop into the review of it here in just a second. Uh, coming yeah. in coming in last this week or in our top five position, Don't Breathe, still hanging on in its fifth week, uh, brought in $5.6 million, and now it has grossed over $75.3 million altogether, which is pretty freaking awesome. And what was that thing's budget again? Like $9? What was it? <laughs> yeah, it was $9. <laughs> well, they've done really like well. It was like $9 million, then. but yeah, yeah it's, uh, they've done really, really well with that film. That's awesome. 
Um, but Snowden, let's talk about Snowden. I actually like Snowden. A lot of the movie reviews that I saw for it um, found it very slow and kind of painful. Um, but I, I really liked it. And of course, if you're not familiar with it, it tells the story of Edward Snowden and stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that the role of him and uh, Shailene Woodley in the role of his girlfriend. And it's the personal story, of course, of Snowden, the polarizing figure who exposed shocking illegal surveillance activities by the NSA and became one of the most wanted men in the world. He is considered to be a hero by some and a traitor by others, no matter what side you believe or what side you're on. The epic story of why he did what he did, who he left behind, how he pulled it off makes for one of the most compelling films of the year. I thought it was good. Um, let me ask you really fast. Had you seen Citizen Four? I have not seen Citizen Four, which um, yeah. a lot of people, uh, including our, our friend Mike, said that you know they felt like they'd already seen this film uh, because they had seen that and so much of it, of course, taking place in the hotel room and just right. being uh, uh, you know uh, material that that people were familiar with. But I haven't seen that film, um, so it didn't feel like a repeat to me. Right. Um, well, and, and to be fair, like I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a pretty good fanboy of uh, of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Me I think, too. Uh, I think I I like him, so I see him show up in something. It it I'm like gives me hope. Like I loved him in Looper. He did an awesome uh, ode to Bruce Willis in Looper. So ever <laughs> since then, I've liked him even more. Um, so what what um, so were you rolling your eyes during this film? I was not. Um, I was not. I I saw a, uh, a, a special screening of this, which was a part of... Uh, they had like a live Q&A afterwards with Snowden and Oliver Stone, which was kind of cool. Um, oh, wow. So it was, uh, it was not... They weren't there. It was... Obviously, yeah, but it was still, screened that's in. pretty but, uh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it was a, a live feed from, from Moscow. Um, but uh, wow. I liked it. You know, I wasn't rolling my film or my eyes at all. I, I felt like they did a really great job at kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a techie person, so I have a understanding of what happened, whereas I don't think a lot of people do really kind of understand everything that, you know, the government was looking at and what they were actually um monitoring and how they were monitoring it and what all they had access to. And I still don't think a lot of people actually know, you know, really understand what the government was looking at. And I think that, um, uh, Stone did a really good job of, you know, making that, uh, kind of dumbing it down for people that maybe aren't as technically savvy and the way they kind of illustrate it and show it, I feel like makes it very digestible for even someone that isn't tech savvy. So I appreciated that part. Um, so yes, no, no eye rolling on my part. But you said other people were kind of like, ah, it's slow. Were you bored at all during? I mean, it definitely is a slow paced film. Um, you're really right. getting to see kind of the, the evolution of Snowden from, I, I think the film starts kind of roughly in 2003, 2004, um, and then kind of, which is way before, you know, he started working for the, uh, you know, doing all this uh, security work and all of this involved in everything that he had access to. Uh, so it was really cool to kind of see the evolution um, from 2003, 2004, all the way up through everything happening in 2013. And you really kind of get to see him grow as a man and ask himself self these questions and kind of struggle with, uh, you know, the 
the, the personal struggle behind all of this with what's right. What do I do? You know, do I release this information? Do I not? Do I put the people I love in jeopardy? Do I destroy my career? You know, uh, all of these questions that he had to struggle with before coming to the conclusion that he was going to release these documents. And I think it takes a while to tell that story. And the pace seemed natural to me with what, with, with the story that they were telling. It wasn't like, oh my God, why right. isn't this faster? It seemed fitting for what they were trying to accomplish. Gotcha. Okay. So the, it was it, tonally, it, it was all, it was all dialed in. So right. boredom gauge, 5B, and I'm really bored. Um, I wouldn't say it was bored. I mean, it, it was slow, but I didn't mind it. Um, so right. I'll, I'll give it a two on the boredom scale. I don't mean to say that I'm psychic, but a two is absolutely what I predicted was going to come. <laughs> yeah. You know me so well now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all dialed in. <laughs> so, so overall, though, were you? I mean, how? Because Snowden's story isn't really over yet, right? So, how? I mean, right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, a lot is going to have to change with the the laws that we have here in order for him to ever possibly come back. Um, so he's right. he's good over in Russia for now. I don't think he has any plans of leaving. Uh, what is kind of cool, his girlfriend, Lindsay, uh, who's played by Shailene Woodley in the film, has actually moved over there and is now, you know, they're together living over there now, which is. Wow. A, it's really sweet and heartwarming considering, you know, how their relationship is depicted in the film. She really she's such a great match for him. And it's so clear that. You know, he wanted to tell her for so long, but couldn't because, you know, obviously that would put her in jeopardy. And uh, so knowing that seeing them in the relationship in the film and knowing that they are now together in real life and she moved over there is just kind of like a happily ever after for the story of their relationship, at least in my opinion. I love that you found the Jane Austen hook inside <laughs> of Sheldon. I did. Well done. <laughs> I like it. That's perfect. So so overall, it was good or Overall, I liked it. Um, I would give it a uh, a four out of five. Atla, ooh, yeah, a full Atla, a full that's Atla. A, that's high marks. It yeah. is high marks. You know, it was it was really cool how much research went into the film. Um, Stone met with Snowden at least I think like nine times, and and one time he brought um, Joseph Gordon Levitt along. And uh, Stone actually wrote part of the the screenplay or co-authored the screenplay um, in Moscow as well. So it's I appreciate all the attention to detail that that went into it. The uh, yeah. the explaining of the technical aspects. I kind of question whether or not it's the right time for the film, because I feel like uh, and really, you could argue this with anything in the media. It's a big deal when it comes out. And then a couple of weeks later, people kind of forget about it. And um, it's such a big security and privacy are, are such big topics and especially going into an election, which is probably why Stone thought that this was the right time to release this, you know, to get a dialogue going before um, the next election. But I just don't think enough time has passed yet for to, to, to bring this topic back up from what happened and really have it make an impact, because I, I think people still don't really understand the severity of what happened and on both sides, they don't understand the severity of what the government was, was watching and, and keeping tabs on all, all of us doing. And they don't also understand the severity of what was actually in the documents that Snowden released. Um, so it's, uh, 
and the film kind of leaves that open to the audience members to decide for themselves, you know, whether Snowden's a hero or a traitor or, you know, somewhere in the middle. It definitely paints Snowden in a, a favorable light. Um, but I think that there's still a lot more dialogue there to have and people need to have a kind of clearer understanding of both sides of it. There was a, a while ago, uh, John Oliver, who uh, just won an Emmy last night, um, actually went over to Russia to interview Snowden. Mm -hmm. And he did some, like, man-on-the-street stuff to see if people, to your point, understood kind of what was happening. Um, and if, if I think it's up on YouTube, I highly recommend you just, like, search for John Oliver Snowden because it's a fascinating interview. And it just shows how little people know of what's going on. And then the way John Oliver gets people to really understand, like, how, how big of a deal it was is that, like, hey, would you want the government looking at your dick pics? And that was seriously the <laughs> only thing that would get people to react, like, angrily. What? No. Why would you ever, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, uh, it's it's worth that. Well, I think it's, like, it's it's worth 33 minutes of your time to check out that John Oliver thing. Definitely. I love everything that John Oliver does. And I was so thrilled that he won the Emmy last night. We should. We. I didn't even have on our outline to talk about the Emmys. No, I, I kind of realized that as I said it. I'm yeah. like, we are we are an awesome entertainment podcast. <laughs> the Emmys film, didn't. All films. The Emmys. The Emmys did not happen in Atlanta. They didn't exist. You know, they don't. They're not in Georgia. Exactly. Well, neither did Snowden. But <laughs> well, that's that's true. But he he had to have flown over Georgia to fly out of the country. I don't even know. Actually, Would you go west or east? You'd probably fly west going when, to Russia. Damn it. When he was uh, with the army, he was actually stationed in Georgia. So it, there actually is a small Georgia Boom. factor to Edward Snowden's story. I just <laughs> recall that. Link. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I'll, okay. I'll throw the Emmys in right at the end. We'll talk a little bit about nice. the Emmys. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, so stay tuned for Emmy report. Yes. yes. <laughs> After all of our movie goodness. Uh, but yeah, so we have uh, coming out this this Friday is uh, The Magnificent Seven, which has a pretty stellar cast behind it. Yes. And I'm actually seeing the film tonight, so we'll have a review of it next week. Uh, but in anticipation of Friday's release, we have a interview with stars Chris Pratt and Manuel Garcia Ruffalo. Where I sat down with them <laughs> exclusively. <laughs> Just me and them. Okay, so here goes my first hard-hitting question. You guys ready? What is this movie about? I think it's a movie about uh, redemption, about um, a group of uh, brothers standing together against tyranny. Yeah, The Magnificent Seven follows a character by the name of Sam Chisholm that's played by Denzel Washington. He's a cowboy in 1879 who's uh, a duly sworn warrant officer who... You know, is recruited by a, a brash and powerful young lady played by Haley Bennett to uh, come and set right some wrongs that have been done to her and her townspeople at the hands of a ruthless uh, gold baron, Bartholomew Bogue. And he he goes out on a journey and collects the Magnificent Seven. Uh, he, you know, six more guys to face an army. And so that's what this movie is. Now, I have to say about that, even then, I'm actually really excited about this movie, but if, if Chris Pratt just could have managed to bring up the word infamous, he would have been describing the three amigos, like pretty much. I'm pretty just much. saying. 
just Pretty saying. Close. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So, but I bet this is gonna be a really good flick. And then um, there's this other question I totally asked them when we were hanging out the other day after we after we had some drinks, exchanged notes about the Atlanta DocuFest. <laughs> Who is Haley Bennett in this film? Haley Bennett is an actress in this movie who's who's just terrific in. You know, it, her role, much like a lot of the other roles of The Magnificent Seven, is, is really feels contemporary, it feels modern, and it feels representative of a modern-day woman because she's not someone who's just in the kitchen or playing one of the, you know, town prostitutes or whatever it is the, f- the female roles typically were in old, older, you know, westerns. And so she's a strong, powerful woman, and any hint that she may be more than one of our equals is met with serious ferocity on her part. You know, she's uh, handles a gun like any other cowboy and, you know, piles up some bodies herself. So she's tough and, and beautiful at the same time. She, she's, she's definitely a modern woman. Yeah, in the real life, too. She was, she's a great shooter. Yeah, she is. Great. Like, yeah. she, we would go to the uh, shooting range and she would grab the rifle and... Like, she was better than a lot of the men. Better than me, yeah. definitely, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Is anything about him going out of his way to not be sexist sexist? <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say to that, but you're so right. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. All right, okay, we can, we can move on. I just realized he's like, you know, they're not playing horror. And I love Chris Pratt, but I'm like, ooh, I ooh, know. S- stop talking, dude. Stop talking. Yeah, I'm just like, I know where you're going. Let's, we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So uh, then I asked them uh, a very powerful question. Chris... <laughs> Who do you play in this film? My character Joshua Faraday has has joined this squad, and we're not exactly sure why. And uh, you know, this is this is um, him interacting with uh, Haley's character and Emma. And you know, this is this is Faraday and Emma getting to know each other a little better and uh, getting to understand one another. Powerful stuff. And then, of course, I, I asked. Oh, go ahead. I have to just say, I just like Chris Pratt saying my name. That's all. That's my only comment <laughs> no, there. <laughs> that I think that's. I think <laughs> that's kind of amazing. If you want, yeah. I can I can doctor something up for you. We'll we'll have it play on tape loop. I love it. it. Your, I love it. it Please it do. Could be your, it could be your ring or your text message sound. It'll be great. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> then I of course uh, asked Manuel a very powerful question about what he plays in the film. Just have to wait a minute. He was really thinking about a good answer. <laughs> I play Vasquez, and he's an outlaw. Um, you know, one of these guys that love loves gunfighting and loves uh, adrenaline, and he's always challenging death, and he enjoys that. He enjoys being, in, you know, in a fighting. And, and when the when the character of Denzel, uh, you know, he knows about his fame because he's he has, he's famous for being one of the fast, fastest. Um, gun slingers or whatever and he knows about his fame so he goes and re- uh, recruits him for this you know suicidal mission and you know, there might be money involved so he says yes and then we first meet on uh, we first meet as yeah as we're you're drunk i'm drunk yeah just come back from a good day and a half ride and a half day of drinking Oh, that was with. beautiful. That was so funny. And you, we, we improvised that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff. Yeah, a lot of the, yeah. a lot of little beats like that were yeah. kind of created on the day, and and um, 
yeah, we meet right there and instantly start sizing one another up. Yeah. And, you know, as the way young bucks do, you know what I mean? Like, we start, like, kind of circling each other and there's, you know, something about that. And it continues on through the course of the movie. Yeah. There's a bit of a rivalry between the two characters that ends up, as it often does in men and, and maybe all people, uh, to, to be the foundation of a really strong friendship. And then, uh, of course, I asked them the present question, who was the best gun twirler? Yes. Manuel became the best gun twirler. <laughs> no, but you're shooting. Dude. No, no, he's amazing. Shooting, it's it, really, he's, a, you know, he shoots too good. And I mean, I was good at doing the circus kind of thing, flamboyant thing, you know. But uh, the real shooting, Chris is amazing, yeah. You really, uh, you really thanks, buddy. Well, between the two of us, we make one hell of a cowboy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's got the twirling, I got the shooting, and we so can, and, and he's got the riding. I don't have that. And we can have uh, Vincent's looks. Yeah, um, we get Vincent's looks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, BH's hair. True. Martin's shoulders. <laughs> yeah. With a perfect cowboy. Yeah, yeah with a perfect cowboy. <laughs> and then, of course, how was the culture on the set? What was it like on set, you guys? Tell me, please. It was a fun set. It was not a practical joke kind of set. Um, really, it was... Uh, you know, like, if you go to the fair and you and you, you put, and you'd get your, like, wanted poster taken. You, like, put on a hat and a, or a sombrero and, like, a, a vest or a poncho and you grab a gun or an axe and you, you do, like, the black sepia tome photo and it says, Reward you know, $5,000 or whatever, and you get it printed out, you know, go to the fair, you do that kind of thing. It looks really cool. Uh, people like to do that. Well, that's what this entire town was that was built where we spent the majority of our experience on, on this movie. We were in Rose Creek. This is 30 buildings that were built for this movie. Yeah. We're sitting inside the saloon. We're sitting inside of the Undertaker's uh you know, office. We're sitting, you know, inside of the liveries. There's horses everywhere. There's extras walking around in period garb. I mean, the fun didn't come from practical jokes. It came from just being present in this incredible environment that was created so that we could create an authentic Western. Yeah, and there was a lot of death, death moments, you know, a lot of rain. Yeah. So we had to wait for long, you know, lighting storms and uh, so we we bonded in those dead time, you know, smoke cigars. Chris brought cigars for everybody, and you know, just wait for the, in the porch, sitting, watching the rain, smoking, and just talking uh, about anything. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, that's it right. Was pretty cool. Just yeah. bonding and passing time, the way cowboys did back yeah, exactly. then. When you know, nothing was immediate back in those days, and you see why. I, I started to realize why cowboys talk and walk slowly. It's because you might only have four things to do a day. You're going to take your time doing them. Yeah, yeah. No hurry. No reason to rush through the only thing you have to do. Yeah. You know, you might be waiting for a wheel to show up in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime. Yeah. And, I, and I think that those moments give us a lot of bonding. And yeah. I think you can see that on screen, you know, the, the, the chemistry of all of us. Yeah. Did, did you ever do any acting, Emma? Like, a, did you do like drama s stuff in high school or anything? I was in one play when I was 14 years old. It was called Once Upon a Shoe. It was a Mother Goose play. <laughs> it was brilliant. 
I was brilliant in it. I think I played girl number two. Um, wow. Well, yeah, nobody that's, remembers that's girl acting. number one. Nobody remembers girl number one. I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. Everybody remembers girl number two. Well, I, was, I, I asked just because, like, if you were going to do performance, it does sound like a lot of fun to be immersed into that world. Like, it'd be pretty tough to not... I mean, just the way, you know, you did the cosplaying, which is almost a version of this, right? Where you kind of right. look in the mirror and you feel like, oh, I'm a part of this thing now. It would be a lot of fun to experience that. Like, you know, you've got this, like, perfectly tailored cowboy costume and they've got you shaved and chiseled just the right way so you look as absolutely cowboy-y as possible. And then you get to walk through a cowboy town. That'd be pretty badass. Well, obviously they wouldn't shave you. But, but you get you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I think anytime you can kind of fully immerse yourself in a role. I mean, really, it's we've all played pretend when we were kids. And, you know, I think that's even that's that's what acting is. You're just getting to, to play pretend as an adult. And um, I think especially theater work, getting to fully immerse yourself in a character um, yeah. without someone yelling, you know, um, cut and any any time that you can be as immersed in a character, a scene, a set, and it brings more authenticity to your role, to your connection with your character, and just to your to your performance. So I I have to imagine that being in a a little town like that that was built for them would be it would definitely make a, a difference in in how you approach the role and how immersed in it you felt. Yeah, totally. And if it's got to come with a fair share of adrenaline, of course. I also asked them why they did the film, because I didn't ask them if there were any surprises in the film, though. I, I will tell you that. Dang it. <laughs> For me, it's because Chris Pratt's in there, then Sal's in there, Ethan, Vincent, Peter, uh, Antoine directing, and it's a Western. I mean, it's, it can't get better than that. It's just too sexy, you know? Yeah. And uh, one one thing that sh we can't fail to mention is, is uh, James Horner, yeah. the composer, you know, who... In my opinion, I'm going to call it, is going to posthumously get, he's going to get nominated and win an Academy Award for score uh, posthumously. He he passed away during the course of, make, of us making this movie, and he was going to be the guy who was going to do the score for this movie. Everyone was devastated. Anton was devastated. And then he was told by someone in James Camp that he'd already finished eight or nine songs, and that music is in our movie now. And so yeah. this is like, the last movie he ever got to score. Yeah. So that's one reason to see it right there. And to be fair, I was super bummed with James Horner. He died in a plane crash. And this guy has done scores to a lot of great films, like way back to Aliens, James Cameron's 1986 film. Um, so I've always, and of course he did Avatar. Basically, a lot of the big Cameron tentpoles. I, it's a sad loss because that guy did good work. He did great work. Yeah, he's definitely one of the the best composers of all time for for cinematic scores. Yes, I'll give him that. I would I I would I would back that statement up. So I, I have to say I'm 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 proud that you didn't ask if there were any surprises in the film. Oh, I, thank I'm you. That was, that was good reporting. I was just I was <laughs> just dying to ask. Like, does everything <laughs> happen as exactly you would think it would happen all the time in this film? <laughs> I was, you know, I was just trying to think of a different way to ask the same question. I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that film comes out this Friday, and we're going to have a review of it next week. And I love Chris Pratt, so I'm going in with high expectations. And I, I know a couple of people that have already seen it kind of were, were lukewarm on it. So... 
Oh, uh, we'll, really? We'll see. Yeah, they were. Uh, they didn't hate it. They didn't love it. But um, we'll see. I'll 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 let you guys know next week. Well, the director is the same guy who's who's uh, coupled up with Denzel Washington quite a few times, like uh, um, Training Day and a few of those other kind of like ultra violent films. So right. I, I'll be very curious of like the tone. Like, there's a recent one he did with Denzel Washington called The Equalizer, which was a super dark kind of gritty ultra violent movie. So I'd be curious if this movie leans that way, too. It doesn't sound like it's that kind of movie based on the vibe of that interview, but maybe it is. I have no idea. I've seen the trailer and that's all. I mean, it, it looks beautifully shot. Yeah. So well, tone wise, it, it looks beautiful. That's the only to- tone nice. comment that I have for it. <laughs> totally. It's got a brilliant aesthetic. Perfect. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, we should definitely touch on the Emmys because that's a big deal. And that was last night. That is a thing that happened. That's a thing that happened last night. I actually um, I watched them and I was bummed out that I missed the beginning because and I still haven't seen it. Uh, the beginning part, apparently the Stranger Things cast, the, the kids from the oh. from the show had a, a little bit in the beginning. I'm not sure if that that aired on TV or if it's right before they started filming. I got to look that up. Um, but I did see numerous pictures of them and all of their, their social media postings from last night. And I just continue to love them. Um, <laughs> Stra- stranger things did not make it in time for this year's Emmys. Maybe, maybe next year we'll, uh, we'll see some stranger things action in there, but there were some, some big surprises last night. Um, uh, Rami Malek did win for best actor in a drama series for Mr. Robot, which made me, Super, super excited. That's um, awesome. I, I wanted it to win for best drama as well. Uh, that ended up going to Game of Thrones, which I, I like Game of Thrones too, so I, I can't I can't be too mad. And I, I definitely think it was a great season for the show, uh, but I, I just feel like Mr. Robot should have should have won that. Um, and one of the big surprises of the night, Tatiana Maslany won for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for her work in Orphan Black. And if you haven't seen that show and seen her work before, she she is that show and is without question one of the most talented actresses on television, if not wow, the nice. most ta- talented actresses on te- the most talented actress on television. And everything she does in that role is is incredible, and it's so great that she was finally uh, finally got a uh, nomination and a win for it. It was it was well overdue. So those those were um, some of the the coolest moments of the night. Um, of course, the People versus O.J. Simpson also like swept all of the awards for yeah. almost everything else. Um, and I still actually haven't seen that. Um, I will note that the pen they sent me in the press kit is one of my favorite ink pens that I have. Um, but nice. that's, uh, uh, that's really the only thing I know about the show, aside from what it, I, I, of course, know what it's about. But I haven't seen it. It looked from all of the promos, uh, looked like it had a... Um, amazing writing behind it, obviously an amazing cast. So I need to, yeah. to go back and watch that one since it it did so well last night. But uh, yeah, so Emmys twenty sixteen did a did a better job than the Oscars did this year. Yeah, so I I agree. It was uh, I mean I didn't see the whole thing, but the little bit I did watch was good. And I have to say I'm happy for Jeffrey Tambor. 
because yes, that guy, yeah. he's like old school. And I, I'm stoked that like a lot of these people are having little resurgences. Like, well, not little. Now, when you're winning Emmys, you're back like uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Obviously, yes. representing on Veep. And then uh, I must say, and there was a lot of this on the internet today, but uh, like, we've mentioned this before. I, I still have my, like Matt Damon. I love me some Matt Damon. <laughs> and he totally stole the show, uh, beating up Kimmel for losing. I was he did. That was so great. That was my yeah. favorite moment of the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just like my Mandy and I were talking, my wife and I were talking about just like how, how good, how much of a presence Damon has. Just the way he was eating that apple made that whole bit like a thousand times funnier. I'm just saying. Yeah. That guy's really so, good. He was so casual, so casual about it. But yeah. it was just... Oh God, it's so great! I, yeah. Anytime they have a they have some sort of bit or encounter bit that they do, it's it's always great. So that was super cool to to see in real time last night. Yeah, it was great stuff. All right, so there you have uh, it. Your exclusive Emmy reporting. Was there anything else that uh, that you were going to re- any surprises about the Emmys that you wanted to share? Any any surprises? Well, I mean, I was surprised that that some of those wins happened. Uh, that was that was a uh, usually you can predict. I mean, I, the Oscars, without question, is super political in yeah. who wins and what happens. And I think this year's Emmy wins proves that, you know, they're actually looking at talent, which is the way it should be. And I think that's awesome. So Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So there were surprises and they were well received on my part. I do want to give some teases for um, what we have coming up. Uh, of course, next week we will have a review of the Magnificent Seven. Uh, we will have a surprise interview, which I don't, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but we'll we'll have an interview next week, and it'll be awesome. It's going to be huge, and it's going to be huge. <laughs> um, and of course, I have to to give another um, mention of the event that I'm doing this this Friday, um, seven o'clock. Doors are at six thirty at uh, the the Playhouse on 14th Street for SCAD, the SCAD Theater. SCAD Film is putting on a screening of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, followed by a Q&A with director Amy Heckerling, and that Q&A will be hosted by yours truly. So uh, grab your tickets while you still can. I know they were selling pretty fast. And uh, join us for the screening, and then we're going to sit down with Amy and ask her a bunch of questions about that movie and uh, female filmmaking and the differences that, you know, between 30 years ago and now. And then also um, I've, I've got some clueless questions in, in, in store for her, too, because that's uh, she also directed that film and uh, and was responsible for the TV series, uh, which was short lived, but based on one of my favorite movies. So uh, all of that is this Friday at seven o'clock at uh, SCAD Theater on 14th Street here in Atlanta. And tickets are still available. They're free for SCAD students and $15 uh, for non-SCAD students. So get them all you can. I'm very excited for you. And please feel free to throw me under the bus about the fact that I did not know the Fast Times at Ridgemont High director was a female. You could totally really? do that if you want. Remember, we learned that in last episode. I said he and you were like she. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I never knew oh, that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So feel free um, to be like, my co-host is an idiot. What's it like <laughs> making uh, movies as a female director over the last 30 years? So, <laughs> Well, you know what uh, was really interesting? I was reading this article today trying to kind of prep some of my uh, my content for for Friday. And I'm trying to pull this up now to see who it was. Um, David Lynch was originally offered the, uh, the director's chair for Fast Times. And I can't help but think about, like, how different of a movie it would have been if David Lynch had been the director of it i don't 
I, I, I can't see that in my head, like what it would have been. Well, see, that's what's amazing. I wish sometimes, like, you could do, like, experimental time travel and just go ahead and see that version of the film, because I would be very curious to see that film. I also right? learned, I learned just yesterday, I stumbled upon this, like, a fact on IMDb that Robin Williams was offered the part of the Joker in the original Michael Keaton Batman before they went around to, to convince uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. That would have wow. been interesting also. So, yeah, uh, we, we need to see been. both of those movies. We need to see both of those movies. Yeah, that would be really cool to see different takes on it. And I guess that's that's something that you can say is, is cool about reboots, is getting to see different takes on, on material. Um, rarely are they done well. But um, <laughs> right. but it, it would be cool to, to go back and kind of see... Um, there was there was a lot of things about um, Fast Times that I I didn't know about um, other actors that were up for for roles in the film. Um, Tom Hanks, Jodie Foster, Matthew Broderick, and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer were all considered for um, leading roles in the film too. So I mean, it's just a lot of things that could have been you know drastically different about the film, and it's I can't even imagine what it would have been with that. I mean, I mean, Fast Times is such an iconic yeah. film to start with, and and for you know, kind of 80s uh, teen genre. I, I just can't picture it. But it's it's cool to think about it. No, it's it's fun. An alternative universe or David Fincher. My goodness. All David right. Lynch. Da- oh, sorry. <laughs> Duh. An alternative universe. Uh, an alternative <laughs> universe where David Lynch did that would be fantastic. Although David Fincher, now it's getting crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be interesting as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I have for this weekend. You got anything else on your end? No, I don't think so. This has been like a double stuffed Oreo. This is this has been a full show. I know. I mean, we said we had a good show. I feel like we delivered. I also believe we delivered. I'm glad we went ahead and followed through to actually do it. So go us. Me too. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys for joining us for episode 25 of the Atlas Podcast. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt.com. My name is Jakai Mickelson uh, with Atlanta Movie Tours. And my goodness, 25, we're, we can round up to 30. No, it's going to be older than me soon. <laughs> we can now rent a car uh, at the standard yeah. rate. That's what we can do now. <laughs> All right. And now the show just got longer, so I can say that. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you.